0: All right, if you have your Bibles, grab them. We are starting a new series through the book of Jonah. That's in the Old Testament, kind of toward the end, and the minor prophets. Uh, they are minor, not because they're less important, but because they're shorter. And so Jonah is where we're going to be for the next uh, four, five, maybe six weeks. We'll have to see how it how it plays out, but... Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 as we're going to camp out this morning and I love the book of Jonah and I've just been looking for the right time uh, to preach through it. It is a fun book. It's a book that we often think about as uh, a child, right? Because every kid and every kid's Bible knows the story of Jonah because it's fun to read because there's a giant fish, whale, Loch Ness monster creature that swallows Jonah and that's really fun and we're going to get there. Um, But Jonah is a fun book and it is a marvelous depiction of God's grace and kindness and mercy to those who don't deserve it. And there are multiple people in this uh, uh, account that don't deserve it yet get it. I'm so excited to dive into that. So Jonah chapter one is where we'll be. Um, now listen, we, we all naturally resist calling, right? Like if you're a parent and and you have kids and you call them, you know what it looks like for calling to be resisted because you might call your kid's name 500 times before they're like, oh, I just heard you. Yeah, right. You know, I remember like being at the ball field and and, and my, my mom or dad calling my name like across the ball field. When I call your name, you come. I'm like, mom, you were like literally a mile away. Yeah, you heard me. And I did, but I pretended like I didn't. And, like, I remember being uh, at football practice, right, and after football practice is over, uh, all the, you know, the kids, we want to run around and play football. And we used to play this game called smear the individual with the football. You know what I'm talking about? And so we would run around and uh, and 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 tackle each other with football and 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 have fun. And parents would come out as it gets too dark and uh, the lights are going off. And and honey, let's go, Brent, let's go. I don't hear you, right? And we just you, you push it out as long as possible because we naturally resist calling. And this morning we want to look at a familiar story, a story of calling and of ignoring and rebelling and a story of hope, and so let's, with that, let's look at Jonah chapter one, verses one through three. The words of our God say this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go Teneva, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Jonah and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet of Israel, which meant that he was the mouthpiece of God. He was the, the mouth of God between God and God's people, Israel. It was the prophet's job to speak on behalf of God's people. So understand the difference between me, a preacher, and a prophet is that I take God's word as it already is and try to help understand it and explain it. A prophet was speaking God's words for the very first time. Sometimes that took the form of instructions and the prophet come and say, okay, guys, God has told us to build a tabernacle. We're gonna build it and here's how we're gonna do it. Other times it would take the form of uh, you know, uh, instruction Hey, God wants us to cross the river and he's gonna stop the river and we're gonna cross it. Or we want us to go into the promised land and, and fight these enemies and defeat them. And so we're gonna go do that. Or God wants us to do this or God wants us to do that. And so it would take the form of instruction. Sometimes the prophet though would speak a word of warning from God. Turn from your wicked ways. Stop sacrificing to idols, or the Lord will bring judgment upon you. The opening line of the book tells us that Jonah was the son of Amittai, and so we know the time period that this takes place. It takes place during the reign of King Jeroboam II, which is around 786 B.C. The reason that is important, because Jonah as the prophet it was a supporter of the king's aggressive military strategy to extend Israel's power and influence through conquest, we must understand the way Jonah viewed the world. Jonah thought Israel was the promised land, right, which it was. It's was the promised land. These are God's people. This is a holy place and a holy people, and everyone outside of it is wicked, evil, nasty, Gentile. That's you and me, all right. I don't think we got any Jews in here. Anybody a Jew? You're all Gentiles, all right? And so we're all these pagan Gentiles, unclean and evil. Now, most of the time, the prophets would speak to their people, would speak to the Israelites about what was going on with their own people within the safety and security of the borders of Israel. But every now and then, God called a prophet to go out of the border of Israel to a foreign land, to a foreign power, to a foreign Gentile, evil, pagan, unclean nation, and to speak to them. And that is exactly what God calls Jonah to do. See, God assigns Jonah a people to reach. Understand that. God assigns Jonah a people to reach. In verse two, when God speaks to Jonah, he says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. And Jonah when he hears this from the Lord would have been a little shell-shocked. I can imagine Joan saying, God, I didn't quite hear you, right? I think, I think there must be something in my ear because it sounded like you said Nineveh. And that's really funny because you would never say for me to go to Nineveh. So can you say that again? And after he understands what the Lord has asked him to do, and he gets over the absurdity in his mind of the request, he was pretty mad, He's pretty upset. I can't believe God would ask me to go there to those people. Has God lost his mind? Maybe it's a test. Maybe it's a joke. God, good one. You know, today, here's how we would say it. I don't believe in a God who would ask me to go do something so hard. I don't believe in a God who would ask me to do that. Or we would use one of these verses in the Bible, it's like not actually in the Bible, it's like in first Thessalonians or something, you know? You know one of those verses, are in Heze- that verse in Hezekiah? It's not in the Bible. You know that verse that says God will never give you more than you can handle? Not in there. You know, and God, I definitely can't handle going to Nineveh, so God definitely didn't call me to do that because I can't handle it. So it must not be from God. We have an uncanny ability to wiggle out of what we know we ought to do and what we know God has called us to do. So God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. He calls it that great city. Go to Nineveh, that great city. But Jonah would not have thought about it as a great city. Jonah would have thought about it as a sin city. A sin city that makes Las Vegas look like Mayberry. Because Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which is modern day Iraq. You want to get your geography right? The Assyrians were the powerhouse in the world, they were the world's superpower. They were brutal. They were vile, they uh, were cruel, they would invade a country, slaughter everyone, men, women, children, infants even, with no mercy, and then they would capture slaves, and they would line them up with a giant fish hook through each nose as they hooked them all together and marched them all the way back to Assyria. Even their art depicted their brutality. It depicts them skinning enemies alive. They loved to torture their enemies. Assyria and Nineveh was legitimately a terroristic state. They were forcing the northern kingdom of Israel to pay tribute to them and were a constant threat to the destruction of Israel. They were Israel's enemy in every conceivable way. They were a menace and a stain on the world. And it is not an overstatement to say that Jonah would have hated them. Or as the Grinch said, loathe entirely. But God calls Jonah to reach the very people he hates. This is the equivalent of God calling a Jewish rabbi into the heart of Nazi Germany during World War II to walk past the concentration camps, to walk past the death camps, to walk past the symbols of hatred toward your own people to the heart and center of Germany and to call them to repentance. This is what God is calling Jonah to do. Saying it was out of Jonah's comfort zone is an understatement. Now, knowing who Jonah was and how he viewed the world, especially the Assyrians, the original readers, when they read this, would have been amazed and shocked that God would send such a man, a man like that, to preach to the people he feared and hated the most. But is that not how God so often acts? Is that not what God so often does, calling us to do the very things we, we hate, calling us to do the very things that are uncomfortable to us, the very things that are difficult for us, calling us to work against our own selfishness and our own sinful desires, calling us to work contrary to those things? So God calls Jonah, God gives him a people to reach and then he gives him a message to preach. In verse two, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. God gives him a message to preach. And at first glance, it should be a message that Jonah's excited about, right? Like the opportunity to tell the Assyrians, you screwed up too much now, God is going to send fire and wipe you out. You would think that is a message Jonah would be excited about, but Jonah understands and knows the heart of God. He knows the only reason you warn a people of a coming disaster and judgment is so that they have a chance to repent, a chance to believe. And he knows that if they do, that his God would have mercy on them. And that is not something Jonah wants to happen. And so Jonah has been called by God to a task, very clearly. Jonah has been assigned a specific people, and he has been given a message to give to them. The question is how will Jonah respond? One verse later, almost as if to say, immediately or without hesitation, Jonah runs away from God and the call of God on his life. He flees it. Verse 3, it says. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah wants nothing to do with, the, with God's plans. Not only is he disobeying, but he is physically running away. Imagine, imagining that somehow, Putting distance between himself and the place God has called him will somehow make God forget or move on or something. But understand something clearly. Why exactly is it that Jonah is running from God and what God has called him to do? Why is it that when God says, I want you to go to Jonah, or I want you to go to Nineveh and preach, why is it that Jonah is running? Let's understand this clearly. It, it, you, you might say, well, it's because of p- the potential harm, the potential risk to his life, right? Like, because not only did the Assyrians hate the Jews, they were this violent, brutally violent people. And if Jonah just goes and walks up in the middle of that city and they see this Jew, they're probably just gonna kill him. But that's not, that's not why he doesn't go. But maybe he, he, he flees God, because not because of potential uh, harm to him, but maybe because of potential failure. We all know people who have hearts that are so hardened to the gospel that we can't imagine a scenario in which they would change. And maybe Jonah is thinking, there's no way these people will listen to me. There's no way they'll heed my warning. This whole trip is a waste of time. And so maybe he flees because of potential failure. But no, it is not as simple as that. We could understand those things, right? We could understand fear. We could understand failure. But Jonah's heart is much blacker than that. He does not flee for potential harm or potential failure Jonah flees because of potential success. Jonah would rather disobey God, run from God, be separated from his home, from his people, lose his position and standing in his country than to see God show mercy to his enemies, to the Assyrians. Jonah is fleeing because he wants to escape the sovereign plan of God. Jonah wants to be sovereign over his own life, make his own decisions, do his own thing. Jonah is doubting the wisdom and goodness of God. Understand that. When we disobey, it is because we doubt the goodness and the wisdom of God. Jonah is doubting that God knows what he's doing. He is doubting that God's good plan is best. And he thinks his own plan is better. And is this not how we act? Is this not what we do? Do we not often think that we would do a better job than God, deciding what is best for our lives? Do we not think we would be better sovereigns over our life, plotting the course of history? Do we not think that sometimes when God calls us to do something, we think, that's a terrible idea. I can't do that. Do we not trust him? Do we not rationalize and justify why it is we don't need to do what God commanded us to? We are so good at wiggling out of it or just ignoring it long enough that it fades away. You know, for, for me, um, there are times when uh, someone might be upset with me or I'm upset with someone else over whatever and, and there is, I just, I know it, and there is this clear conviction and call for me to go to that person, to talk it out, to make it right, to forgive one another, and, and to fix the relationship. And God is pressing that on me. He makes it abundantly clear, Britt, you've got to go and you've got to make this right. And I have this uncanny ability to distract myself, to ignore it, to make up reasons why they won't listen to me anyway, and they're just too hard-headed to listen. It's fine, it's not a big deal, they'll get over it, we'll just move on. And like Jonah, I run away, because confrontation is too hard, it's too risky, it might blow up, it might get worse, and so better just not do it at all. And in those moments, like Jonah, I doubt the wisdom and goodness of the God who is calling me to that good work, no matter how hard it is, and I trusted my own wisdom over his. And not only is Jonah fleeing the task which God has called him, Jonah is actually fleeing the presence of God himself. It literally says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, obviously, you can never actually get away from the presence of God, right? Because God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. You cannot run from him. But there is a sense in which there is a way to avoid feeling his presence. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There is a way that we can avoid feeling God's presence. When you in your life are living in disobedience to God and you know it, man, do you not avoid him like the plague? Right? When you are living in a way contrary, then you know you're, that you should. When you're doing something disobedient, God has called you to do this or the Bible has just called you to do this and you are living contrary, did we not just avoid him? We don't want to be close to him or reminded of him, be near him anyway, because if we are, it would mean he gets our attention and that he'll call us to repentance. He'll convict us, and it'll be uncomfortable. And I don't want to change, and he'll call me to change, and he'll step on my toes, and it'll hurt, and it'll hurt my feelings. I don't want to change, right? So sometimes what we do, when we are living in contradiction to God's will, we avoid the Bible. We don't even look at it. Don't don't show me that then. We stop going to church. We don't listen to Christian music. We stop praying. We stay away from the things that might make us feel the presence of God so that we won't feel the shame and the rebellion and feel like we have to change. We just avoid it. We run away from his presence. But as we will see in the coming weeks of this book, obedience to God, obedience is always the best option no matter how difficult the path seems not only because it is the best thing for your life but also kind of selfishly because fleeing the lord never ends fun right like fleeing the lord's will never goes well in the end like god's gonna get us back even if it means he's got to send a giant whale logging this monster fish creature to swallow us and bring us back Rebelling against God is emotionally and physically and spiritually exhausting. And while God always takes us back again and again, it's never comfortable or fun. But still, yet Jonah runs from the presence of the Lord because he does not want to feel the shame and the guilt and the conviction of doing what he knows he shouldn't be doing and having to, to change. When Jonah flees, he doesn't just go home. He doesn't just ignore the Lord. He doesn't just go to the other side of town. This man is serious about fleeing. He goes down to the, to the docks to a place called Joppa, it says. And he finds a boat to Tarshish. And he is planning on fleeing over 3,000 miles from where God has called him. Do so I want to show you. There's a map. I'm going to show up here. Israel's right in between Nineveh and Joppa. He goes to Joppa, and look how far that dude goes. That dude, he's like, I'm out. Get me out of here. He goes over th- almost 3,000 miles. His disobedience takes him further and further away. It takes him down to Joppa. It takes him down to a boat. It eventually will take him down into the ocean, into the sea, and then down into the belly of a fish. And isn't that the way sin always works? Isn't that the way disobed—our little disobedience, our little sin—starts small, but then requires more of us. It demands more of us. I find that the reality of the sin is always asking more of us than we originally wanted to give. I love this quote. I don't know who it's from, originally from, but it says, "Sin will take you farther than you want to go." Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Now think about this for a minute. Sin takes you further than you want to go. I just wanted to go here. I just wanted to tell this one little lie. I just wanted to not do this one thing, but it takes you further. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. I just wanted to do it for a minute and get out, but it gets its claws in you and holds you there. And it costs you more than you want to pay cost relationship it costs things cost health it costs joy our disobedience is not innocent our disobedience is an assault against a good and wise god who is leading us down a path for our And while we choose to think we are wiser and smarter and we want to make our own paths to follow, those paths ultimately lead to our own destruction. Let me offer you one more insight from this text before I show you how this is really just all about Jesus. You know, in Christian circles, we like to use this language of uh, an open door from God. And there's nothing wrong with it, it's not a bad thing, but we say all the time, you know what, I'm trying to find a job, I'm trying to find a spouse, I'm trying to decide what college to go to. And, you know, trying to, trying to make whatever decision, and we say, you know what, I'm just waiting for God to open the door, waiting for God to open the door, waiting for him to crack a window, something, open something, or we get the job, as you know what, it just fell into place, God just opened the door, and, th- and that's true, and that's right, and, we- and that happens. Well, first of all, sometimes there is no door. Sometimes, we need to just be obedient and not hide behind this over-spiritualization jargon waiting for some sign for us to do the basic things God has called us to do. We don't need to wait for an open door to share the gospel. We just need to go do it. We don't need to wait for an open door to love your spouse. You just need to do it, right? You don't need to wait for an open door to go offer forgiveness. You just need to do it. But here is what I want you to notice from the text. Jonah had an open door. When he decided to disobey God, there was a dock, and at that dock was a boat, and and that boat was heading in exactly the place he wanted to go, and he had just enough money to pay the fare, and and the crew had room on the boat for him. There was an open door. Everything just lined up like it was from the Lord and meant to be. There was an open door for him to walk through, but it was not from God. Understand this, every open door is not from God. Sometimes we have opportunities come before us that sound great to us. They are convenient. They are what we want. They are easy, but they are not from God. Unlike Jonah, we must exercise wisdom and discernment to know which doors are from God that we must walk through for our own good or which doors are from the evil one looking to destroy us, giving us an easy door to walk through into disobedience. You see, our enemy wants us to flee God's presence, wants us to feel the guilt and shame and to run away in disobedience. And so he lines it all up. There's a dock and there's a boat and there's money and there's room and they're going in the right direction. It all lines up. It's an open door from the devil for us to walk through. He opens the door because he would see you destroyed. Our enemy opens doors to facilitate our disobedience from what God is calling to do, us to do. Every open door is not from God. See, we see God called Jonah. We see God give him a people and a message. But Jonah rebels, which leads him to being separated and cut off from the presence of God. Now here's the problem for us. While often we act like Jonah, really, we're not Jonah in the story. We're the Ninevites. We are the foreign Gentiles separated from the mercies of God and under judgment. We needed a Jonah to come and warn us of the coming judgment of God over our sin so that we could turn to God and believe and plead for his mercy. We are the people who needed the Jonah to come to us, but thankfully, we have a better Jonah. Now track with me, Jesus was called by God, like Jonah was, to go to a foreign land, to a broken people with a message. But unlike Jonah, Jesus does not run away from his calling, instead he fully obeys. But yet Jesus' obedience, leads him to being cut off and separated from the presence of God on the cross. But unlike Jonah, he is cut off from God, not because he deserved it, but because we did. He was cut off from God because we deserved it. He was cut off from the presence of God so that we might once again be able to draw near to him. You see, we are the people to whom, for, for whom Jesus came. His, and his message is of grace and mercy and forgiveness and of second and third and fourth and fifth and seven times 70 chances. And Jesus, who knew all of your faults, a Jesus who knew all of your failures, a Jesus who looked at this world and knew all of the vile of our own hearts, still said, I will obey, Father, and I will go. Unlike Jonah, I will go. And he looked at our world, faults and all, and loved it. He looked at you, faults and all, and loved you, and so he came. Jesus is our true and better Jonah. Now, let me ask you this. A couple questions to reflect on. What task has God called you to? What task has God called you to? There are some tasks that he's called us all to. We've we've been called to preach the gospel. That is not an option in your life. You are called to preach the gospel. But maybe God has called you to forgive someone that you've been angry and bitter at. Maybe God has called you to fix a relationship that has been broken. Maybe God is calling you to work on your marriage. Maybe God is calling you to to fix things with your kids. Maybe, oh, I don't know what God is calling, maybe God is calling you to Africa. I don't know, what is God calling you to do? First of all, are you listening? What is he calling you to do? Second, what people has God assigned to you? Let me be clear. Where you work, where uh, you live, are not things by accident. The family you are in, It's not by accident. The people in your family, the people that you live around, the people that you work next to, the people who sit on the bleachers of the ball game that your kids are on are the people God has assigned to you. They are your Nineveh. God has sent you to them to share his message of mercy and grace and forgiveness, to share Jesus with them. The question only is, will you obey and go? What has he called you to? What people has God assigned you? What message has he given you? But a message of, of grace and love and forgiveness, a message of new life, a gospel of a crucified and risen Christ, a simple message that you can't screw up, a cross and a resurrection. He has given us a message and a people and a calling. The question is, what are we waiting for? The door from God is open, but so is the door from the evil one. And the question is, which door will we walk through? One final question to consider. Who is, more specifically, your Nineveh? Now, this is really a hard question to be honest with ourselves about. We like to think that we don't have people that are Nineveh in our life, but we do. Who, and here's what I mean. Who are the people that, like Jonah, you look down on? Who are the people that you think are weird, are strange, the people you despise, the people that you think are the problem in the world, the people that you are quick to critique, quick to be critical of, quick to judge, maybe a family member, maybe a strained friendship, maybe that person on Facebook you're always arguing with? Maybe those people who are on the opposite side of the political aisle than you. Whoever they are, how will you respond to God's call to love them and reach them and serve them? Jesus has called us to love our enemies. Not despise them, not hate them, but love them. The way we talk about them, the way we talk to them, the way we treat them, the way we reach them and love them matters, because God has called you to it, called you to all, everyone in this room has called you to your own us, And you can be like Jonah and say, nope, don't like them, I ain't into that God, too hard, you must not have called me to that work. And you can run. And walk through the the door the devil has opened for you. Or you can be obedient and walk through the door God. And though it's hard, it's always worth it. Whoever they are, how would you respond if God physically, literally called you to love them, to go to them, hear this message of hope with them? Because that is exactly what God is calling you to. Will you answer the call in obedience or flee from his presence in rebellion? There are two open doors. Which one will you walk through? Will you walk through Jonah's door or Jesus's? Will you be like Jonah and run from the calling of God on your life, run from the people that are hard to deal with, or will you be like Jesus? Came and gave his life for people who didn't deserve it, didn't ask for it, don't appreciate it. People who are vile and broken, you and me. Yet he still loved us and came. You want to like Jonah and run, or you'd be like Jesus and go. That's the question. There's two doors, and you got to walk through one of them. The choice is yours. Father, we come to you this morning, and we're thankful that you are not like Jonah. We're thankful that there we have a Savior who, when he was called to come to earth, to leave his home and come to earth to a people who were vile and cruel and broken, a people who would revile him, a people who would take and beat him, a, t- a people who would betray him, that yet he would still come, knowing all that he would endure to bring this people a message of hope and grace and forgiveness and second chances to make us new and redeem us. We're thankful for a savior like that, a true and better Jonah, who wouldn't flee from your presence, but would be cut off from your presence so that we might be brought in. God, thank you. Would you make us anti-Jonas? Would you make us a people, a people who are broken, over the brokenness in our world, Of people who, who see those, those that aggravate us and irritate us, those that we disagree with, and instead of being angry at them, instead of accusing them, instead of judging them, we would go in love and in mercy and share the message of the gospel with them that they might become our brothers and sisters. Lord, help us not to have hearts like Jonah, but hearts like Jesus. Lord, do what you gotta do to change us. If there's anyone in this room right now and you've never experienced the love of God in Christ, you've never believed this gospel, I'm gonna be up here, there's gonna be some guys up here we would love to share with you how to believe and follow him how you can be part of his family. If you're here this morning and you've got a, a coworker or a family member or a friend or uh, just some calling on your life, really, and that you've been fighting it, and you say, you know what, God, it's time for me to give in and do this thing you called me to do. And you just want to pray with somebody. Let us, we would love to pray with you through that. You just got someone in your life that you've been trying to share the gospel with and they're just hard-headed. And you want to pray for them. We would love to pray with you about that. If you've got anything going on, we'd love to pray with you and, 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 and love on you this morning. You need to stand here and sing the praises of God because you remember the mercy of Jesus. Let's do that. Father, help us to respond how we need to. In Christ's name we pray all people said let stand together.